Process webinar podcast series. In this installment, AHA Process consultant Jim Littlejohn unravels the mysteries of male emotion. Well, I'm so glad we have so many people with us today. Uh, we're going to talk about emotions. Uh, we're going to have some fun with it. I want you to think a little bit. I want you to kind of put your own examples uh, inside your head as we talk about this. Again, we are not going to have the definitive answer for everything. You can't really do that well in about 35 or 40 minutes. But uh, we're going to open it up, have some fun with it. And so let's jump into it. If you notice that you see a whole wide range of emotions, uh, bottom line for most men is we don't tend to share verbally a lot of our emotions. So that's going to be kind of our premise today and what we're going to talk about. Here's our big picture of where we're going to go. We're going to look at how males, both young and old, deal with emotional issues. Obviously, it starts very early. So we're going to do a little brain uh, research. For those of you that are really gurus in brain research, this is a very minimalist view of how to look at things. Uh, certainly, there's a lot more details than what we have time to get into today. Second thing we're going to talk about is this concept called the boy code. And what the boy code basically does is kind of puts restrictions on how males should show their emotions. And we'll talk about that. We'll see a little video clip later on in the session that identifies that as well. And then the third thing we want to look at is how are male emotions impacted by poverty? There tends to be a little bit of a difference. Now, today we're going to look at patterns. As we talk about these patterns, there's always exceptions. This is not an absolute, but there's always exceptions. So, that being said, here's the first of our fundamentals. We have a couple fundamentals. If you don't have an emotional vocabulary to explain what's going on inside of you, it tends to be problematic. Uh, if I don't know how to verbalize it, then I will tend to act out. And for males, typically what happens is when I am very stressed or I am uh, pushed to the last degree, what I will do is something either physical or I will go into absolute silence. I kind of retreat into my cave, as we'll talk about later on. And here's why. We're going to kind of do a combination of both uh, nature versus nurture. When we think about nature, that's a biological development of, of how we get to where we are. When you talk about nurture, it's the influences that are in your environment. And so uh, for males, again, we have this concept of, of anger and aggression. If I can't explain it, what I might do is do something physical. For example, in the classroom, a student gets upset. You ask the student, well, what's wrong? They say nothing. So, well, I can tell something's wrong. As you try to pursue in a very good way to try to get some more information, they start to get agitated. And eventually what you might hear them do is they'll slam the desk, scream out, just leave me alone, and at that point in time, what all good teachers will do is kind of think about, okay, you are not going to talk to me that way, and boom, we send them on out of the classroom, which in essence uh, kind of lets the boy know that, you know what, I should not respond emotionally, so I'm just going to keep it to myself. If I have an emotional vocabulary, I might be able to share that a little more succinctly with the adults or even my friends. Now, let's do a little bit of this brain stuff. The limbic system is where emotions are primarily stored, okay? And we're going to talk about a couple of these different parts. Um, you've got the hypothalamus right here, and the hypothalamus basically is your regulatory system, if you will. It's what uh, keeps us alive. The 
hippocampus is, in essence, our thinking part of the brain, if you will. Again, there's way more to it than what we're going to get into today. And then the amygdala is where we process, uh, begin to start our emotions. Now, the reason why that's so important is if we look at this creature right here, how many of you were just startled above and beyond belief? If this kind of took you by surprise, not going to see a snake like that too often appear in a, in a presentation. Okay? In essence, let me kind of describe what just took place inside your, your brain, if you will. There's the snake again. As you saw that picture of the snake, if you like snakes, if snakes don't bother you, then that wasn't a big deal. If you don't like snakes, then the hypothalamus pretty much said basically that you are afraid. That now kicks into the amygdala, which you're now saying, oh, I don't like snakes. I don't want to mess with snakes. It now goes to that hippocampus. And what the hippocampus is saying is, okay, I'm going to bring back memories of snakes, whether they be good or bad. So what in essence is, is happening here is your body, which is, again, the hypothalamus, is reacting to your view of this snake, right? Here's an interesting thing that happens. So we're going to talk a little bit about what happens between boys and girls' brains early on. And if you look at the slide, what makes this so incredibly important, if you look at the picture of the neurons, what tends to happen for females is the myelin, which is the coding of the neurons, which helps to transfer information, tends to be about 25% more myelination is taking place for young girls, which means you're going to be able to process information a little quicker. Here's the other part of the brain research with the MRI scans. Regions of the brain develop with different sequence, tempo, and pace. Now, that may not sound like such a big deal, but what eventually happens is as boys and girls start to develop, Girls are developing at a different sequence, tempo, and pace than boys are. They will eventually catch up. That's the beauty of this. So one's not better than the other. It's just what's creating some of the problems. So if I'm trying to compare a five-year-old boy to a five-year-old girl, that can be problematic for the boy. He is not competing at the same pace, sequence, and tempo. Here's the analogy I like to use. Early on, the female brain tends to be like a sprinter. It'll get to the solution. It'll get to the source. It'll solve the problem a little bit quicker. The male brain tends to be more of like a marathon runner. We'll get to the same place. It simply just takes a little bit longer to get there than it does for the girls. So in the classroom or at home, you might say, you know, why can't you do this? Do what your sister's doing or do what she's doing. And sometimes boys just can't do that at this point in time. They will eventually catch up, and we'll talk about that in just a, a few minutes. Here's the other part of this interesting brain research. Girls may be two years ahead of boys in development of what's called the parietal gray matter. And the reason why that's so important, it helps to integrate all five senses. So early on, Girls bring in all of their senses. They can apply their senses quickly. That provides them with an advantage. Uh, one of the most important of these senses and has the biggest impact is uh, sense of smell. So girls can pick up senses much quicker. 
which is why if you are a, a middle school teacher and you have a lot of boys coming into your classroom after they've been running around and playing around, it gets to be quite a challenge to, uh, to hang with those boys. Uh, the other thing that tends to happen is the girls in the classroom aren't going to be quite as patient as you, and they'll start telling the boys you don't quite smell as well. Unfortunately, here's what the boys do to try to uh, compensate for that. They'll cover themselves and spray themselves with some sort of cologne like Axe, which really, unfortunately, exacerbates the problem. What boys tend to do a little bit better, or develop sooner on, is a temporal gray matter. And what that does is it allows them to create this spatial perception and object recognition. Uh, what's so interesting about that is let's say you're having a conversation with a, a young boy, or you're having a conversation in the classroom. Let's say it's an elementary school classroom, and there's a fly that goes zooming by your face. Well, pretty much every boy in that classroom is now going to focus on that fly. And it's because it's the movement. They love the movement. Unfortunately for you, you're trying to get them to, to consider the content or the information you're sharing, and until you bring them back on track, that's going to be problematic. Now, here's the, the key part to this. Both genders have the same emotions, but the bottom line is we tend to process them differently, and that's really kind of a the important part here to keep in mind. If we look at this from the perspective of these different men, here's what I'd like you to do. You've got six different males here, and you've got a little survey up there. Take a minute, put a check mark by which one of these six you would have the most concern about, and whatever that means, that's up to you. But just kind of put a check mark by the ones that you consider to be, or the one that you consider to be the most problematic, if you will. We'll just hold off on that. And then also, if you don't mind, and again, this is kind of problematic for you sometimes, is type in the box why you chose what you chose. What is the concern? I'm trying to look at the numbers here. Looks like the majority is choosing number five. Again, type in wh why you chose the one you chose, and let's see if we can have a little conversation about that. I'll be looking at the chat window while you type it in. I see some good folks are typing away. While you're still typing in your responses, uh, let me talk about number five from the perspective of showing the slides all over the country when we have this conversation uh, when we're doing the Boys in Crisis uh, training. Some folks said that number, they chose number five because they don't see the face. Well, sometimes for men, what they'd rather do is hide their feelings. So that is the way literally is covering his face so you can't see it. And number one, it looks like just pondering something away. With number three, kind of, oh, I'm just shushing you, you know, leave me alone, I'm fine, you know, I don't want to talk about it right now. Um, number four, again, it could be that pondering. When you look at number six, number six is you can pretty much get a sense there's something going on there. Now, what we don't know is what's actually happening. Is it a sad event? Um, we don't know. And one of the problems that you'll see in just a few minutes as we continue our conversation is that males don't necessarily always want to share those emotions. And this is such a big deal because learning is both emotional and cognitive. And so if these men that you see here aren't, in essence, sharing with you what's going on, it's kind of difficult to process uh, 
what's actually happening to them. And unfortunately, that becomes a major characteristic of males. Okay. All right. Well, let's keep rolling. When we think about emotions, again, going back a little bit to the uh, biology part, the emotions are tend to be stored in the amygdala, which is in the medial temporal process, and it goes directly to the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is kind of think of it as our uh, control center. It's where we make our decisions and so on. For males, motions must travel a little bit further. Now, that's not a long distance. It's actually nanoseconds, but it's a, a processing piece. Females tend to process emotions much quicker. Less distance is required because what you in essence see is their brain is enveloped with all these emotional data. Here's a, a visual example of that. Here again are the parts we talked about. Here's the amygdala. The amygdala is the starting point. So here's where male emotions are going to start. Go directly from the amygdala to the prefrontal cortex. Now, again, that's actual nanoseconds inside the brain, but the processing piece, the part that says, you know, what did I do? What did I do wrong? How did I do this? What am I going to do to correct it? That's what creates a problem uh, for males. They cannot verbalize it as quickly as females. If we look at the second part of this, the female emotions are going to start exactly in the same place. They're going to start in the amygdala, but because, if you remember all of the senses, the brain is literally flooded. Now, obviously, the brain is not pink and blue, but the concept is that the brain is flooded with these emotions, which is why, if you go back and you think about how emotions are linked to learning, when there's a conversation between adult males and adult females, sometimes uh, adult females can remember every single incident that took place, especially if it was an incident where conflict happened, where the males kind of think, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, let's see if I can give you an example. Two weeks ago, you were at your, your mother's house, mom's mother's house, the wife's mother's house, and uh, there was some sort of comment made, and you corrected the gentleman, and go back home and continue the conversation. He says, fine, 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 I got it. I won't do it again. Two weeks later, you're back in the same house, same thing comes up. You say to him, I told you, why are you doing this again? And he basically says, I don't know. He really didn't remember it because what happened is when he processed that emotions, when he solved what he considered to be solving the problem, for males, when it's over, it tends to be over. For females, it doesn't quite work that way. So that gets back to... When you're looking at males having expressing anger a little more physically than using words, that's problematic. Here's what you most likely will not hear from a young boy, especially. Something's happened in the classroom. He's being aggravated by someone else. So he will probably most likely not say, you know, I think I'm getting agitated at this point in time. If something doesn't happen very quickly, I'm afraid I may do something that's not constructive. No. He'll push the kid, he might smack the kid, and it's because he doesn't necessarily have the words to explain it. You ask him what happened, answer is, I don't know. And he really may not know because he uses this physical aggression as a way to demonstrate the emotions. If I don't have the words, it's very difficult to do that. And here's why. Um, if you are a mom, our grandmom, you will tend to notice this. 
classroom teachers will pick up on this as well. But moms, definitely, you get this whole idea. From birth to adolescent, boys are emotionally reactive. If they can learn to use words, verbal expressions will improve their impulse control. Here's what tends to happen with, uh, with boys. When they become adolescents, they are emotionally unresponsive. Uh, going back to moms, if you are a mom, you know that you've had a great relationship with your son, uh, especially early on, up until about uh, pre-adolescence. And then all of a sudden, they start to cut you off. Uh, for many boys, that's a traumatic experience, not to be able to show uh, physical emotions or verbal emotions to their moms. But part of the boy code is they have to separate that. Now, that creates some interesting problems for moms as well. You go through withdrawal. So now this is what they call, oh, my boy's becoming sullen. Well, what the essence he is doing, he's trying to figure out how he can solve these problems on his own. All right. The cultural edict is men don't talk about feelings. You're going to see that in just a couple of minutes. That's part of this concept we call the boy code. What they will do is they'll begin to internalize anything that's a problem. And the result is if I can't share it, if I don't have the words to share it, this emotional energy becomes action. And so I become physical when I do something physical. Hopefully it's not hurt someone, but, you know, it may be slam the door. It may be smack the desk. It may be just screaming out, leave me alone. Well, all that's a result of going through these biological changes as well as getting caught up in this boy code. So we're going to take a minute and kind of look at uh, the boy code. But before we get there, here are some interesting things about male emotions and how they tend to communicate them. Males tend, as a, as a group, to use less positive emotional words. Um, they will just badmouth each other, talk smack about each other. Ah, you're stupid, you're a fool, you have no clue as to what's going on. And so not a, necessarily a whole lot of positive words are shared amongst men. That starts when they're boys and that continues through adult males. Adult males will just say some of the craziest things to one another. Second thing that tends to happen is as boys get to that adolescent stage, they become isolated emotionally, especially after age 15. If there's a problem, I got to deal with it. I got to solve it on my own. I can't go out there and try to talk to anyone about it. What's really interesting is males tend, again, this is not an absolute, this is a pattern, tend not to share feelings with friends. Let me give you a, an off-the-wall example here. You've got two boys that grew up together, same town, same community, best friends. Um, they're two girlfriends, grew up in the same community, best friends. They get married. All right, so for about 10 years, everything goes well. And then, unfortunately, uh, both couples separate and then eventually divorce. For the most part, the men are not going to talk to one another about that. They know they're going through it. They're just not going to talk about it. Now, ladies out there, it would be problematic if you didn't or if you chose not to share that with your friends. Okay, And so we just have a different way to do it. One's not better, one's not right, one's not wrong. It's just a different way to do it. But men, for the most part, tend not to share their feelings with friends. They could, for example, go fishing for five hours, never say a word about what's going on in their lives. A couple things you might hear them say is, pass the bait, pass the beer, so on and so on. 
you get home and you might say to them, well, how did it go today? It was fine. What did you do? We fished. What'd you talk about? Fishing. If two ladies go somewhere, if two women go somewhere and they don't talk to one another for about four or five hours, that tends to send a message. You know, if you want to look at it, they're no longer your BFF. So it's just interesting how we, we do these different dynamics. Boys, again, as well as men, prefer to work out problems on their own. And here's kind of, unfortunately, the downside of all this. If I don't know how to share my emotions, if I cannot share my emotions, then that will unfortunately lead to higher levels of depression. And that is never good. Never good. Okay? So, I kind of sum up this piece. Males tend to deal with emotions by doing things. Okay, physically doing things. If a young boy has a problem, one of the best ways you can help them solve the problem, first of all, is helping them to develop some communication and emotional words, and we'll talk about that towards the end. But also, while you're doing something with them, walking around, uh, not just sitting across the table face-to-face, that's not going to work very well for either boys or for males. As a matter of fact, what's really interesting is what males will tend to do. Let's say a male comes home from work and their significant other says, well, how was your day? They'll answer, fine. Um, And you kind of look at them and say, no, it just doesn't seem like that was really fine. What's going on? They say, nothing. I'm okay. Leave it alone. Right? And so they do. Well, around 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night, when you guys go to bed, then all of a sudden, this man becomes chatty Cathy, wants to talk about everything that took place. By this point in time, you're pretty much exhausted. See, I tried to ask you about this long ago. Didn't work well. And the reason for that is when males want to effectively communicate their emotions, they don't want to see you or they don't want you to see them with these emotions, which is why the picture number five that you picked was so powerful because he is hiding his emotions. Okay. And as we've already said, females will tend to talk it out. Not an absolute, doesn't have to happen all that way, but they tend to be more willing to talk it out. As we look at this next piece, the boy code, the boy code pretty much sets up the area for a boy's pain, anger, and rage. Now, the boy code is primarily uh, boils down to this one concept. Big boys don't cry. And what William Pollock said in his book, Real Boys, is this. If big boys don't cry tears, what they might cry is alcoholism, drugs, infidelity, become workaholics. In other words, they will transfer this concept, this idea of dealing with their their emotions in a way that is not very productive. We've already mentioned the whole concern about uh, depression. Now, I want to show you a video clip. And this video clip basically comes from uh, a series, a PBS series called Raising Cain. Very powerful clip. For those of you that uh, can access it uh, at PBS, if it's still there, they have a great whole set of questions and uh, teacher's guide and so on. All right. So anyway, what you did not see, unfortunately, on the clip is these boys are talking about this concept called the boy code. Here's basically what they say. You've got to be tough. Uh, today, instead of are saying tough, the concept is you got to man up. Now, these are five, six, seven, eight-year-old boys who are playing football. It doesn't matter that okay. they're football okay. players. It can be any sport. It can be just a group of boys who uh, just hang out playing video games. The idea is that you do not 
show emotions. You cannot show emotions at all. What what happens with the boy code is you you have to prove you're tough. And to prove you're tough, you cannot cry. That becomes the bottom line. Now, here's the real issue. Um, all of us know that boys cry. All of us know that men cry. But if you cry in public, then you're looked at as, you know, all kinds of derogatory names, wusses and so on and so on. Unless it's a sporting event that you lost, unless it's a death of a family member uh, or a pet, something that is considered to be effective way to deal with crying is accepted. But just because uh, you don't like what happened, that's not effective. So that's in essence is the boy code. Now, here's what really happens when boys get stuck with this boy code, when they're caught in the boy code, conflict happens. What boys will tend to do as well as men is they just want to be left alone. They want to be left alone so they can do this processing. So they can kind of, and you'll see in a minute, go into their cave and really think about, okay, what's, what's happening here and why is this happening to me? What can I do about it? To do that, if they cannot process it, if someone continues to uh, pose questions to them, well, tell me what's wrong. Help me understand this. What they will do is they will retreat further into this, this whole leave-me-alone process, this time-silence process. And the angrier they get... If they don't have the words to use to express it, then what's going to tend to happen is they are going to simply wind up doing something physical, okay? Again, it might be, uh, hopefully it's not as destructive that hurts someone else or hurts property, but they're going to do something to physically show their frustration and their anger. Um, if you have a policy in your home or certainly in the classroom that if you slam the door after you've been upset, that's not that's not going to work. So they have to pay the consequence for that particular choice. But that is their way of trying to say, leave me alone. I've got to deal with this. Now, I mentioned earlier this whole concept of, of going in and thinking about how to process that with the brain. Nanoseconds in the brain. But it may actually, according to the research, take up to about five hours of process of emotions. Now, that's not an absolute. But what that means is from the time the problem started until I can fully resolve it, go to my cave and so on, can be up to five hours. So um, if you really want to mess with a young man or mess with a, an adult male after a conflict, just tell them this. You have not heard the last of this yet. When you get back home or when you get here, we're going to continue this conversation. Because here's what's happening inside that male brain. They're trying to figure out, okay, what did I do? How am I going to make it right? What did I do wrong? And so on and so on. And that's what takes so long. Not only do they, they want to express what the problem is, they have to solve that problem, and they will tend to do it by themselves. Okay? The last piece of our conversation today is, well, how does this apply to those of you that are working with kids who come from impoverished backgrounds or adults who come from impoverished backgrounds, especially males? Well, everything we said really is exacerbated in poverty. Primarily because if, if the, the assumption is you want me to communicate my emotions, I have had to have someone model those emotions for me. And here's the tendency, not an absolute, but here's the tendency. Many times what we found in poverty is emotional issues don't go addressed effectively. Uh, death of a family member, mental health issues. You know, abandonment, substance abuse. It's not really talked about 
a whole lot. It, it's kind of swept under the table, and that's just the way. Uh, that's just the way Bobby is. That's just the way. Uh, so just the way you're. Those people are the kind of things that that folks would say. You know, those people meaning uh, the neighbors, my cousins, my uncles, and so on. Okay. The next piece that has an impact is the limited use of formal register. If I don't have formal register and I cannot go to consultative register, how do I explain what's going on? I need the words to help me explain it. We've already talked about this negative self-talk that males will tend to use. The other impact of poverty is this. If I don't see someone effectively dealing with emotions, if the folks that I'm um, around are using self-destructive behaviors, their emotional resources are gone, that exacerbates the problem, especially for boys, because they are very good at visualizing and, and seeing what other people do. And one of the, um, the patterns of behavior in poverty, always exceptions to this, is that you have to be strong. That's how you survive. And your physical strength can keep you from getting hurt, but your physical strength can also get you in trouble. And if I don't have conflict management skills where the expectation is to talk it out, which is the, the accepted way to deal with conflict in schools and businesses, that can be problematic as well. And then, of course, we're all familiar with this particular issue, the absence of positive male role models. Uh, boys have lots of role models, but not necessarily are they always positive, and that's uh, problematic in itself. Okay, so kind of a, a thoughts as to, to what you can do. What are some things we can do? One of the first things is if we can help boys develop an emotional vocabulary. How do I look at emotions? How do I deal with emotions? What are some words that will help me express that? Uh, lots of literature out there to help that. One of the things that, that I really liked to use with both my boys and my girls was the, uh, the chart on emoticons. I'm going to try to throw that up there for you to take a, take a look at it. Um, this is an example one. I know you can't see it very well, but it's how are you feeling today? It's got like 30 different emotions on it. What I did was I, I made this into a big chart, numbered all 30 emotions with the physical characteristics, the facial characteristics on it, and told my students, you know, if they were having a rough day, they could come in and just circle that, put their initials by it, and I knew that in the classroom that day, I wasn't going to mess with them. I was just going to leave them alone. Now, they still had to do the work. They were responsible, but I just wasn't going to have them uh, play school that day. Now, the reality was... I was going to talk to them. I'd ask them, are you okay? It didn't matter if I got a response. That was the important thing. What I was trying to do was plant the seed that said, I understand you're, you're dealing with uh, number eight. You've got one of those number eight days. And they'd say, yeah. I said, okay. You know, if you want to talk about it, I'm here for you to talk about it. Not to, to keep trying to get a response from them, but just letting them know I cared. Now, the fun part was every now and then I would circle circle a number and put my initials under it and they would pretty much know Ooh, we better not mess with mr little john today he's having a number seven kind of day so you know it was a it was a fun way to do it but it really helped them to develop an emotional vocabulary the second thing is if you can talk about the boy code and i hope you guys get the opportunity to watch that little video clip from raising cane because it, it it'll make some very powerful points to you 
But talking about the boy code just lets boys know that, hey, I get it. Sometimes you're not allowed to do this. You can't be expecting that because it makes you look this way. Well, that's not really true, but I understand that's part of your the way that, that you have to deal with things. But at least if you talk about it, they'll accept that you understand, and then you can hopefully help them later down the road. When you talk about masculinity, you know, teach them about the men you admire, why you admire them. What kind of emotions do these men share? Do they show their emotions? Or again, do they, do they hide them? But talk about those males that have been successful emotionally that you've worked with, that you understand. And it could be your own relatives, could be your significant other, or it could be someone that the kids might be familiar with as well. If you can find positive male role models for boys, that's good. Again, boys are very visual. So if I see it, if I can talk to someone who's a good positive role model, that's going to be a benefit. This one is critically, critically important. Avoid shaming a boy if he refuses to talk with you. Don't keep badgering to get a response. Why did you do this? What's going on here? Help me understand this. Let it go for a little while. If you want to have a conversation about you know, what's bothering them, what took place, let them have that time silence. Now, critically important that I say this. If a young man chooses to misbehave or be disruptive in the classroom, they still pay the price for the choice that they made. This is not a, a get out of a consequence. But what it lets you know is that, okay, I cannot deal with what just happened as far as keeping it from happening again, maybe understanding what took place until later on in the day or even in the next day. Don't let it go too far away because then they'll, they'll lose the whole thought of what was taking place. And when possible, reconnect. Try to be there for them. Okay? Now, ah, great question. Simplest answer is this. Do you know the boy? How well do you know him? What's the relationship? Is this, if they have refused to talk to you all along, then we need to work on recreating and redeveloping that relationship so it's positive. Sometimes what you need to do is just wait a little bit. Again, if they were very defiant, they obviously pay the price for their defiance. But later on, out of the environment, if you get the chance, walk and talk. Some of the best conversations to figure out what's going on is uh, when you're walking and talking in the hallway with young boys. Uh, for parents, sometimes the best conversations are when you're driving and they're in the back seat and you're having a conversation. What boys tend not to like because it becomes of a power issue is face-to-face -face confrontation. Uh -huh. Hope that helps. Ah, again. Key to that is avoid shaming. The trick is avoid shaming. Try not to be accusatory uh, in a sense of it's an in-your-face kind of confrontation. Uh, sometimes one of the things to do is maybe just put in a list of concerns. Here's my concerns. We're having some problems here. You know, here's what I'm thinking. You know, this is where I find a disagreement. So I got one, two, three things. Now I'll let you take this, let you think about it, come back a little bit later on, let's have a conversation. What you need to make sure you do, though, is to come back. Because for some guys, if you give them a nice little list and here's my concerns and you don't come back, they think they've, they've won the battle. It goes back to that, that whole power issue. Uh, what's really interesting, I, I don't have the article near me, but I was reading that uh, males are beginning to share a little more emotions openly. And uh, that's a good thing. The problem is, if I do that, 
you know, in, in our world today with social media, I can now be just ripped apart on Facebook. You know, you know, here's this 20 year old just crying. What kind of man is that? So we unfortunately haven't gone through, uh, we haven't diminished the stereotypes of what, uh, you know, a feeling emotional man should look like. We're getting there. Uh, still got a lot of work. And part of that is, again, uh, and the reason why I kind of focused up front with boys is we have to start there. But here's the other interesting thing. I haven't talked about this. As males get older, you will notice this. Grandfathers are incredibly nurturing, are incredibly kind. And part of that is another thing we never got into, this whole issue of testosterone. As testosterone fades, um, males become more nurturing. Okay, I, I kind of jokingly tell audiences when I do this full day presentation is um, as women get older, they're kind of fed up with all the junk they had to deal with with men. And so they become a little more assertive. And as men get older, we kind of uh, become a little more nurturing. But part of that is testosterone. And by the way, I know we don't have a whole lot of time to get into testosterone. Testosterone does not create aggression. It kind of fuels it. Testosterone is kind of like adding gas to a fuel tank. It just keeps it keeps it moving. Mm-hmm. Culturally specific. Um, some folk. I, I I'm going to say yes because uh, in certain cultures, in some East Asian cultures, uh, the boy code is not held to the same standard as we tend to have it in the United States. Hey, I'm trying to give an example of that in East Asian culture, it's okay to be smart and do well in school. Okay, in the United States, part of the boy code is, well, I can't do well in school. Well, you know what? That's not true. I can, and many boys do, but they don't necessarily share that with their friends. They kind of keep it in. Do you have suggestions for dealing with boys that have been sexually abused? Sure. That that takes on a whole different depth. Um I, I don't have the expertise in that, so I'd, I'd rather not respond. But certainly uh, the research in books, uh, I'm trying to think a couple that are really good. Pollock's book, Real Boys, uh, Gender Matters by Leonard Sachs, S-A-X, Leonard Sachs. Uh, Boys Adrift, Leonard Sachs again, talks about that. Um, our Boys in Crisis book, Dr. Slocum talks a little bit about that, uh, but that's really not my my expertise, so I'd rather default to those guys. But what I do know is that boys who have been sexually abused will retreat more quickly into uh, that time silence. Oh, absolutely. First of all, single moms, you do phenomenal stuff. You're doing the work of two for half the price of one, which is incredible. Uh, here's, here's what I like to say when, I, when we do the, the whole day or half a day of the boys in crisis. I want, uh, one of the things that moms can do well, very well, is they can teach a young man to be nurturing, to be a gentleman. And by that, I mean affective behaviors and all the kinds of things that we think are positive. What it's very difficult for a single mom to do, not impossible, but difficult to do, is teach 
that young boy how to become a man because males tend to biggest significant difference but single moms do incredible stuff uh, another another book that it kind of addresses that which is a really powerful book it's uh by Rosalind Wiseman she wrote the book Queen Bees and Wannabes but this book is called A uh, Masterminds and Wingmen and uh, something that's really powerful in that she really does a great job of identifying uh, like 12 different characteristics um, let's see, another really good book, you know, obviously the Boys in Crisis book from us is outstanding, uh, The Trouble with Boys by Peg Tyre, T-Y-R-E, is another source, and I really like to use all these sources when we, when we do the training, a mixed bag of information, and I, and I like that, I don't want us to say that there's only one way to do this, and it's always good to see uh, various opinions and so on. The other one is, uh, Books by Michael Gurian are some really good books. Michael Gurian's work, and he does uh, he does a lot of both genders. Good source. Um, for the most part, if I understand it correctly, and someone please type in if I'm saying this incorrectly, it's the environment that you grew up in has created a lot of trauma for you. That's what I know about it, um, and if that's the case, and that's kind of the environment that I grew up in, uh, where my mother passed away when I was transitioning between uh, sixth grade and seventh grade, and um, it really had a major impact on uh, my life for a long period of time. Well, thank you, everybody, especially for... Uh, you're helping boys become successful men. We guys need a lot of work, and we got some good folks out there who are trying to make it happen for us. So thank you. Uh, thank you guys for hanging with us today. I appreciate it. Glad we had so many folks with. See ya. This has been an AHA Process webinar podcast. Visit ahaprocess.com for more. courtesy of sound.com.